Alright, Daryl has already let us know that in two, uh, next weekend and the following weekend, we're not going to be here in the hall, we're going to be down there, but I also want to take the opportunity to share with you what's going to be happening next weekend, on the 22nd, in this time, the preaching slot, both in the morning and the evening. Normally, our evening is a, a re-preach of the morning, so whether people come in the morning or the evening, they get the same thing. God is saying the same thing to us as a church. But next weekend, we're having two guest speakers. They're going to be speaking to us about two very different topics. And so for next weekend, I want to encourage you to think about coming in the morning and the evening and carving out some time for that. I know many of you have Monday off because of the public holiday on the Tuesday. Uh, So how about a double up on a Sunday? Uh, So next weekend in the morning, Sunday the 22nd, is going to be Dr. Adrian Flock. Some of you guys know him as an apartheid icon who was very much part of the, one of the pioneers there. And when he came to full repentance in Christ, he realized he had to change how he thought. And we know that the Bible says in Christ, there's no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. And he had to figure out as such a public figure what his Christian faith means for him, especially in, spite of, in light of what he was holding on to. And so one of the more famous things he did was wash the feet of Reverend Frank Shikani. And now he goes around South Africa living out the gospel of reconciliation. So we're going to be deeply challenged there. And in the evening, we're going to be having a friend of mine, Nathan Ganetsky. Now, maybe you haven't heard his name. He is a great storyteller, a great singer and musician. He has written a book called God Boy Ocean. I can tell you now, you're going to have some laugh out loud moments. You're going to have some cringe moments because he literally died, almost died a number of times uh, while surfing. And uh, he also talks about how he finds God in the middle of the tragedy of losing his wife to cancer. And so if you have experienced tragedy and loss, and if you are wondering just where is God in the middle of this, or you know somebody who is there, you need to come RPM, that's five o'clock next week Sunday, but it's not going to be here, it's going to be at Just Darling. So come early, grab a cup of coffee, it's going to be informal, but it's also going to be powerful, and his books are going to be on sale. So I think we are on part three of our new series called Restoring Faith where we are trying to unpack what does it mean as Christians to have faith. And we are discovering that it doesn't mean leave your brain at the door. It doesn't mean this blind faith. It doesn't mean this leap into the darkness. We are discovering that we can find out who Jesus is, find him faithful and reliable. We can look at the evidence of that. And then we are moved and compelled to place our trust in him by following him and obeying him. And that's really what faith is about. But now I'm wondering if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like maybe if you just had a little more faith, God would do something big in your situation, right? I wonder if you've ever been praying for someone in a hospital bed and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing seems to change and you just wondered, well, well, maybe it's my faith. Maybe if I had a little bit more faith, God would heal this person. Or maybe you found yourself at the bottom of a financial pit and you've prayed and you've tried everything and nothing seems to change and you've wondered, maybe it's my lack of faith. Maybe if I had more faith, I'd get out of this. Or maybe you've been praying for a job or you feel like you're in a dead end job and you've wondered, maybe if I had more faith, then I could be living it up in the Seychelles, right? Or maybe, maybe just maybe, you've been through some tragedy or dark season and the thought has come to you. Maybe this is because I don't have enough faith. 
I know for me, there are certain times where, where I've been praying for God to do something. And there are certain things that I'm still asking God to be doing in my life, in the life of this church. And sometimes the thought comes to me, but, but Steve, maybe if you had a little bit more faith, then maybe God would do what you're asking here. And so I think this morning we've all had those moments where we've been trusting God for the miracle, trusting God for the breakthrough, trusting God to do the big God thing. And in light of the fact that sometimes we've been looking at an unchanged situation, we've been faced with the question, is it me? Is it because of my lack of faith? And so what we're going to talk about today is talk about the Christian walk of faith and how we can walk in a growing faith and what that means. And is even the way that I've been speaking about faith this morning, is that even how we need to be thinking about it? So last week, and if you want to turn with me to any scripture, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Last week, we heard the story about a desperate father who came to Jesus. He came to Jesus with some doubts. And for those of you who weren't here, a desperate father who had seen his son go downhill fast. He had seen his son lose his voice. He had seen his son become violent and hurt himself and come under some unspeakable violent force and throwing himself into a fire, burning himself, throwing himself into the water, drowning himself. And this father coming to Jesus with, with some faith, but also some doubts and Jesus meeting him in that place and healing his son. But that's not the whole story. You see, what happened before this guy came to Jesus was he came with his son to Jesus' disciples. And his disciples did what they did. And they, they had a little prayer meeting. And they laid hands and they did everything that they knew how to do. And nothing happened. And that's when we see this guy come to Jesus with his doubts because he, he had seen prayers unanswered. Right? So he brought his doubts to Jesus and his sons to Jesus. Jesus heals him. And afterwards, this little conversation unfolds. So the disciples, verse 19, they go to Jesus in private and they ask, why couldn't we drive the demon out? And in verse 20, Jesus says, because you have so little faith. I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move Nothing will be impossible for you. Now that sounds like a blank check. Just a tiny little bit of faith and you can start moving the landscape of earth. Nothing will be impossible for us. And is that how we are to think about this? Because we read a verse like this and, and we don't see mountains moving in our lives. And therefore it must mean that I don't have enough faith. All right, and I think you and I are on the same page as the, as the disciples. We want to grow in our faith. And maybe if I had more faith, then I'll see the miracle. Then I'll see the big God thing. Then I'll see heaven touching earth. Then I'll see the breakthrough. And Jesus has the strangest answer. Right? He, he brings their minds to this idea of a mustard seed. Now, I thought of bringing one, but the thing is, you would not even know if I was or was not holding a mustard seed. Because it's so small, about a millimeter size. And Jesus says, forget about having lion-sized faith. Right? I know all those Facebook memes that make us feel so courageous. But forget about lion-sized faith. Forget about elephant faith. Forget about audacious faith. You just need to have a teeny-weeny little bit of genuine faith. And then God will do such incredible things. You see, Jesus is saying, it's not about being full of faith. The question is, do you have any faith? 
It's not about the size of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. What are you trusting in? And Jesus is saying, if you have even a teeny weeny little bit of genuine faith in an infinitely powerful God, who knows what we're going to see in our lives. But here's the problem. When last did you see anyone pray and mountains move? Be they literal mountains or metaphorical mountains. Our difficulties in our lives. What about those moments where you thought you were praying in faith? When you felt so internally confident and you didn't see the mountains move. What are we to do with that? Now here's something that a principle that I regularly bring to you as a church. That when we read the Bible, when we try and understand the Bible, what we need to do is not just rip one little verse and try and understand it on its own. We always need to go to the kind of the chapter, the book, and and actually the whole narrative of Scripture. Putting it all on the table and then try and derive an understanding of faith. Because on one side, if you were here two weeks ago, we've got this incredible Hebrews 11 faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer just gives us story after story after story where God did incredible, miraculous things through his people. But I don't know if you remember, if you were here, we discovered that these big things that God did, it wasn't like Noah or Abraham or Enoch or any of these guys came up with some harebrained idea and in the name of faith went to us and did it and just kind of hoped that God would fill in the gap. In fact, the act of faith was God spoke God came up with the idea and the faith was in light of the fact that what you're asking of me doesn't make sense, in light of the fact that my circumstances don't really look like what you're calling me to do, the act of faith was I choose to obey. And when all of these people obeyed God's call in their lives, we see God doing amazing things. So Hebrews 11, faith is when we hear the call of God, we hear the voice of God, and we pray and we see those big moments in our lives. But then even in Scripture, not only in our own lives, we've got the other end where we kind of left scratching our heads and we left with maybe a little bit of a conundrum. I just want to give you two biblical stories. The one is Acts chapter 12, very famous story. Peter is in prison for preaching the gospel. And there's a miraculous release of Peter from prison. We're like, yes, praise the Lord. I mean, that's faith. I mean, that's God's hand at work. And that's what we need to be expecting as Christians. Here's a problem. A few verses earlier, James was in the same position that he was beheaded. So which is it, James or Peter? And, and was it Peter's faith or was it James' lack of faith? I don't think so. Right? And what about 2 Corinthians chapter 12? where the apostle Paul tells a story where he had this ailment or this difficulty. We don't know exactly what it means, but this thing that he calls a thorn in the flesh and he prays three times to God to take it away. Now this is a man of faith. This is a man who God used for miracles. This is a man who had faith to plant churches. This is a man who saw the inner workings of heaven and yet his prayers were not answered, at least in the way he wanted them answered. So these are those moments where we are trusting God for the big thing. And we are coming with our faith, but we're not seeing God move in the way we think we need to be seeing him move. So when we look at the whole of scripture, we see that faith isn't like this magic ingredients that we add to our prayers to make God do what we want him to do. 
Faith's not like the, the magic wand, and God is like under obligation to do now what I ask him. In fact, that would be a mistake, and that would be doing what some people have called putting our faith in faith. Have you heard about that? Where, where I'm trusting my faith. Whereas the scriptures say, no, it's always about putting our faith in God. It's the object of our faith. And so faith is me obediently and with great confidence putting my hand in God's hand. And somehow participating with what he's doing, confident that he will be the one who does it. This is something that I am facing every single time I stand up to preach. There is something that happens in my heart where I start to think, oh, if only I say the right thing. If only I prepare the, the, the right story and, and if I bring the right illustration, then God would move. And now God absolutely, he calls me to study, he calls me to pray, he calls me to invest my time, he calls me to steward my talents. But I, when I stand up here, I've got to say, hands off, Steve. God, unless you do your thing, somehow I move my mouth, but unless you move, I'm wasting my time. And that is me placing my trust, not in my voice or, or my illustrations or my ability to preach, but in a God, and I, I place my hand in him, and that is really just a picture of what faith is. And so by putting our faith in God, especially as we look at the whole range of scriptures and human experience, it means putting our faith in his power and his sovereignty. It means putting our faith in his ability and his wisdom. It means putting our faith in a God who can heal and a God who can sustain us through illness. It means putting our faith in a God who can bring about radical transformation in our lives and a God who can mature us and mature things like patience and long-suffering in our lives. It means putting our faith in a God who can change our circumstances in a second and a God who can bring peace and hope in the middle of our darkest seasons. Now, I think one of the reasons why Jesus talks about a mustard seed, I mean, what are we supposed to do with the single mustard seed? Sure, you can make mustard out of it, but you're not going to get much out of a single mustard seed. If you want more seeds, if you want more stuff, you're going to plant that seed. And so Jesus talks about this in Matthew 13, verses 31 to 32. He says, the kingdom of heaven, this is how God works. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. So what are we supposed to do with the mustard seed? I believe one of the things we need to do is we need to consider what does it mean to plant this mustard seed? I learned a number of things about the mustard tree yesterday. Now, in your mind's eye, don't picture Californian redwoods. This is like Middle Eastern garden plants. All right, so as far as Middle Eastern garden plants go, mustard seed gets pretty big, about 20 feet high, about 20 feet wide. The thing about a mustard tree is that it can grow in arid and dry climates. It can thrive in clay soil or sandy soil. It can thrive in wet climates. And even if it's cut right down to the trunk, it can regrow. And so I think one of the ideas we can take away from this idea of a mustard tree and one of the reasons why Jesus chose this is, yes, because it starts with a small seed 
but it is something, and if we talk about our faith, man, that whether we're in the dry soil of life or whether we are in healthy conditions or unhealthy conditions or whether our circumstances are flourishing or whether we have been pruned right down to the trunk of our lives, the person of faith can come out stronger on the other side of those circumstances. And so if we are to have a growing mustard seed faith, and if we are to consider what it means to plant it, to see the increase, what does that look like? And I've got a handful of principles I'd love to talk about this morning. And the first one is this. We need to be willing to start small. Be willing to start small. That's the point of the mustard seed. All right, and the emphasis here is the word start. We actually need to start somewhere. Jesus didn't start with thousands of impressive followers. He didn't write and sell millions of books. He didn't start with an army. In fact, he started in the armpit of Israel with a bunch of largely uneducated people who somehow went on to change the whole world. I know when God called Bianca and I to plant a church, just the whole idea being at that stage, 29, 30 years old, seemed so daunting to us. And trying to picture our future, 10, 15, 20 years time. I mean, how do we do that? And we weren't sure if we could do that. But here's what we could do. We started small. And so we drove our car outside Waterstone College, not knowing what that meant and not knowing what was going to happen. And we gave God our yes. Because that we could do. And that small step led us to the next step which led us to the next step. And here we are still taking steps on this incredible journey of Riverside Community Church. So guys, if you want to know where you can start small, man, every page of the Bible has somewhere you can start small. Every time we encounter God's word, every time we hear his voice, every time we we read a a good Bible illuminating book or, or hear a great message, we've got opportunities to start small. And while it may not seem like miracles in our lives, that's where we start in the everyday areas of our lives. And I can guarantee you, you start small here, you start small there. What's going to happen is we are going to be shaped as we increasingly become people of faith. But the second thing we need to be willing to do is we need to be willing to grow. And by grow, I mean step into new things. That's the only way growth happens. Right? You don't become strong and then increase the weight. You don't become fit and then start running further. All right? You don't kind of just naturally become clever by reading Facebook all day and never reading a real book. All right? I was thinking about it this weekend. So my kids are not big TV game players and I, I wasn't really. Uh, but from time to time they play a game and at the moment the game of choice is, some of you will know it, is Mario Kart. All right, so the other day, the kids were going to bed, and I thought, oh, I want a little bit of Mario Kart time. So, so I was like, oh, having a good time, and I realized, oh, I'm coming first. And every single race, I was coming first, and I started to feel like an absolute champion. Until I realized, and some of you who know Mario Kart will know, I was on the 50cc route, which is basically like beginner, beginner, beginner. And I realized the only way I'm going to improve at Mario Kart is if I go up to 100 or 150 or 200. So I decided, well, you know, I'm 40 years old. I can go to 200cc. And you know what handed to me? My butt got handed to me. All right. Uh, suddenly I'm coming in 10, 11, 12. But the point was, now you go back to 50cc and it just feels so slow. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense, but the point is, 
You want to grow, you want to be stretched, you have to step into new places. That is the only way we grow and the same applies to our faith. We've got to get beyond our comfort zone, beyond our natural abilities. And and it doesn't always have to be a huge step. And so for some of you, that could mean taking this opportunity that Craig spoke about. And some of you took the opportunity. It can mean hearing about this evangelism training and, and just showing up. That's step one. Who knows what's going to come next? It can mean moving from being a chairwoman on a Sunday morning. We're so glad you're here to becoming someone who serves. It can mean being part of the big group on a Sunday where it's a wonderful time. I love the big group, but there's only so much church that can happen in the big group. And, and then it, for some of you, it means moving into the small group and life groups in people's homes. For some of you, it means moving from being a receiver to being a giver. Or being an occasional giver to a regular giver, or a regular giver to a tither, or a tither to an extravagant giver. This could mean moving from kind of speed reading, a a quick little devotion online or on your WhatsApp, to actually sitting down and opening God's word and spending time with Jesus. This could mean choosing to step out and actually face some of the problems in your life. By going for counseling, by investing in your marriage, by going to divorce care, by signing up for the journey. This could mean starting a mustard seed conversation with a colleague, with a neighbor. I want to give you a biblical example of something that may seem very small, but in God's economy, it's equivalent to moving mountains. See, Jesus used this metaphor a number of times that mustard seed faith can accomplish great things. So there's a story in Luke 17 where Jesus is speaking on forgiveness, right? Forgiveness doesn't seem very miraculous. And so he says, hey, listen, if somebody offends you, forgive them. Hey, man, and if they offend you seven times in one day, I think you've got to be married for that to happen. (laughs) I promise you I'm not preaching sideways at my wife. I, I guarantee you that. But even if they offend you seven times, in one day you need to forgive them. And so the disciples have the strangest response. They say, okay, Jesus, increase our faith. See, in their minds, forgiving seven times is nothing short of a miracle. And so Jesus says in Luke 17, verse 6, he says, hey, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Slight variation on the mountain. You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now is Jesus saying that somehow if you have mustard seed faith, I mean, you can redecorate the earth. God-like powers. No, he's saying, I'm calling you to obey me, to show people what the kingdom looks like by forgiving as you have been forgiven in Christ. And while that seems insurmountable to you, Man, even if you have a little bit of faith, you can do that. A little bit of a willingness to start small. A little bit of a willingness to obey. A little bit of a willingness that God can transform hearts and renew relationships. And out of that trust to step into that space and forgive. Number three, not only are we starting small and not only are we going to be stretched, but number three, we also need to be nourished See, what does a seed need? A seed needs good soil, it needs good light, it needs good water, it needs nutrients. 
Now, maybe there's nothing you can do about some of the dry seasons that life takes you through. But what we can do is that even in those dry seasons, we can nourish the seed of faith in our lives. So how do we do that? Well, if you want to see our faith grow and nourish it, we need to be, number one, nurturing an active prayer life. Now, guys, I just want to let you know in advance, this is going to sound like I've heard this before. Give me something new. The problem is we don't actually engage in these things. And this is really where the power is. We need to engage in an active prayer life. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. How do we do that? Well, we do that in prayer. We want to have a growing mustard seed faith where we trust his faithfulness and see his hand at work. We do that in prayer. We also need to be nurturing a life in the word. Here's a verse some of you have heard before, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. According to this verse, where does faith come from? Hearing the words of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, part of it is by rocking up and being here, but not being passive listeners. It also means you've got your own Bible in 24 translations on your digital devices. All right, it means actively engaging and being a student of the words of Jesus. And that's gonna grow our faith, according to this verse. We also need to be nurturing a life with other believers. Guys, the life of faith was never meant to be walked alone. Have you ever been in a season where your faith has felt so fragile and some of you have looked around you and you've been isolated and maybe it felt like your faith was falling apart. Some of you were in a season like that and you had people on your left and people on your right praying for you and supporting you and they got you through that season. There are other times where you were the one who was trusting God and feeling strong but other people in your life needed that support. And that's why we have to nurture this in a community. One of the main reasons we do this, Hebrews 20, 24, he says this, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You want to grow in love, you want to grow in good deeds. Well, we need to have people spurring us on, encouraging us. We need to hear their voices and feel their love. And the fourth one that helps us grow our faith is we need to nurture our life with the Holy Spirit's. In other words, we need to become increasingly sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And there's small little mustard seed steps of faith that we can do to nurture that. Have you ever been driving along and a verse of scripture has popped into your mind? Well, how about pressing pause and thinking about that verse? And what might God be saying to you? Or maybe it's not for you. Maybe as you're thinking about this verse of scripture, God brings a name to mind. How about texting how about texting that verse to that person? How about texting that person saying, I'm praying for you? Or maybe God brings a song to mind and, and you stop with that song and maybe find it on your phone and, and you use that song to worship God and you put that song on repeat and you're like, it's not like you heard God in the car, but maybe this is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I can guarantee you if we nurture those moments, we will become increasingly sensitized to his voice. And I can guarantee you, your faith will grow. And so if we do these steps, if we, if we start small and start living these little obedient steps of faith, 
And if we start becoming stretched and, and willing just to take the next step and the next step so that we can grow, and, and if we're willing to nurture our faith by giving it the nutrients that it needs in prayer and the voice of the Spirit and the Word of God and other believers in our lives, I can guarantee you, you will get to the points where your vision of God's kingdom starts to outgrow the vision for your kingdom. Where you'll start to realize you matter and God has great purposes for your life, for his kingdom's sake. And so the fourth principle I want to talk about is where we make a difference for his kingdom. Let me ask you a question. On average, are we in danger of doing too many great and risky things for God or sitting in the safe confines of our own kingdom where we're not even living with any faith? On average, now I know some of you have seen people way off on this side doing some insane things that they sucked up out of their own imagination. They slapped the name of Jesus on it. They called it faith and they just went berserk. And you're like, I don't want to be like those guys. And if that's what faith is, I'm going on this side. I know we've seen it. I've seen that. But maybe we've made our lives so secure that we aren't living with any faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I mean, let that verse sink in. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Have you ever thought about this question? If if God's main goal was just to get you saved so that one day you can escape this world and go to heaven, the minutes you believe, why doesn't he zap you up? Have you ever thought about that? I'll tell you one of the reasons why he doesn't do that. It's because now that you have become a citizen of his kingdom, he wants you to be an ambassador for his kingdom. He wants you to make a difference. He wants to use you. He wants to exert his power through you. He wants to capture your heart and your imagination and your mind for his purposes. And so as we grow in faith, God wants you to discover the calling on your life. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to leave your job and go into full-time ministry. It may mean that for some of you. But what it is going to mean is means you're going to discover that your life is about more than the things of this world. And you're going to discover the big things God is calling you to. And because you've nurtured this life of faith, you're going to be prepared to give God your yes. And I believe more of us are going to be attempting with genuine faith, great things, for God. So can you see that faith is not just this Christian positivist way of thinking that somehow if I can believe it in my own brain, God is going to do it. No, it, it is me moving into the relationship with Jesus. Hearing his voice, being shaped by him, walking in step with him, walking in obedience being willing to step beyond my comfort zone, being prepared for when the big things come along to give him my yes. That's the life of faith. And so as we go to communion, I I want to end off by talking about just our fifth principle. And with this, we're going to end off where the life of faith is going to mean nurturing a cross-centered life. Now again, I know that just sounds like Christianese. But listen to the connection between the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and the life of faith. 
in the following verse, Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body. You know, I was reading this verse a number of years ago and I got to that part. I was like, Lord, what does that mean? I no longer live. You see, the problem is I'm the one who wakes up the next morning. I'm the, like, so who drinks coffee, Stephen or Jesus? All right, who's driving? Is it Jesus take the wheel or is it someone else driving? Like, what's going on in those moments? What does the life in the body look like? I just felt this little tap, just read on. The life I live in the body, this life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you see that the faith-filled life is a cross-filled life? It's a life of dying. Dying to myself. And somehow, the more I die to Stephen, the more of Jesus shines through me. That's why Jesus says, you try to hold on to your life, you lose it. But lose it for my sake, you find your life. And if you want to see more of Jesus in your life, you need to look at the one who gave himself up for you because he loved you. And now you are living the life in him. He has paid for your sins and you get to stand and walk as sons and daughters of the king. And the more you die, the death he died, the more the work of Jesus can actually be allowed to seep through your life into this world. And so as we come to the communion table, just before we start thinking the big things, let's start there. Let's start thinking about the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus that we're gonna have in the bread and the juice. This is the son of God who gave his life for us because he loved us. But also we don't just die the death he died, we also live now in his life. It's a life of faith. And as you move from just thinking about the cross, maybe be asking God, what is the next small step he's calling you to make? Maybe write it down. Maybe just write that question down in your phone or your journal and, and journey with that question for a week. As life groups, we can talk about that during the week. What is that next step God is calling you to do as an act of faith? And step into that. So let us pray. And then we will participate in communion together. Father, I don't know if we always understand what this verse means, that we've been crucified with you. I know it's hard just to wrap our minds around that. But Lord, we know that there's a part of us that is an offense to you. And instead of making us pay for that, you paid for it on our behalf. And you took on our brokenness and our sin and our shame and you gave us your life and your freedom. And that happened at the cross. And as we trust you, Jesus, day by day, we get to walk in the invigorated life of Jesus. And so as we look at the cross, help us die. Grow, Holy Spirit, in us. Greater kingdom vision. I pray that you'd speak to every one of us 
calling us to a next step, a step that is going to require stepping out of our comfort zones, a step that is going to require obedience, a step that is going to require possibly some risk, but a step that you are calling us to. I pray, Holy Spirit, this won't feel like like compulsion. I pray that it'll feel like an invitation because we're growing in our understanding of who you are and your heart for us. So God, we start at the cross and we move into your life. We pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. But I want to invite you, I want to invite you to make these words your own. And maybe you don't fully understand what they mean. That's okay. We're not trusting our understanding, we're trusting Jesus. And so let's not say these words, let's pray these words. Galatians 2 verses 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Holy Spirit, lead us in the spirit of this verse. May all that you mean by this become true of all of us as we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.